All right. Well, we've been diving into the series entitled In the Image of God, and uh, I want to go ahead and, and uh, continue there. Last week, we spoke on marriage, and I have a confession, okay? Probably should have been uh, a part of the series, probably the second message as opposed to the first message, but really what we're talking about is marriage and relationships and so forth, and I was, my confession is I was just too excited to share that message with you, so I, I went ahead and preached it first, right? It's going to be a little bit Star Wars. We went through four, five, and six before we went to one, <laughs> two, and three, okay? So, uh, um, you know, just wanted to share that message with you. So we're kind of going to, we're going to backtrack a bit as, as we begin to address more of the root issues dealing with all marriage and relationships and how we carry ourselves and how we treat each other and so forth. As we look at ourselves, we look at us in the image of God or life in the image of God. Uh, I want to talk to you about the sacredness of life. I, um, I didn't use sanctity of life, uh, the word sanctity of life, on purpose, because when we think of the sanctity of life, more, m- more than just a few of us will probably just get a picture of babies, you know, babies being saved from abortion and so forth. But sanctity, meaning the holiness, the value, the worth, the sacredness of life, is not just for babies, it's for every age, right? Every age is valuable and holy and sacred before the Lord. And in our culture, every single age is, it needs to be valued, right? As a church, we all need to value every age. No matter, no matter how young, how old, every age is valuable before God. And every life needs to be treated with sacredness, with honor, with holiness. So last week we began the series, though, and, and we talked about marriage and how marriage was made by God and how it was made to reflect Him in every single way. And here are some points that we got from last week's message. God is eternal, and He is eternal community. And God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and you and I are made in His image. We were created for community. Uh, we uh, went through the scriptures that spoke of the fact that men and women were created in His image. Uh, We spoke of the fact that our bodies reflect this artwork, even physically speaking, right? Physically, emotionally, psychologically, all of it is supposed to reflect His glory. And yes, our physical bodies are made to reflect His masterpiece. It is His masterpiece. It is His work and made to reflect His image. We talked about, uh, I'm glad that kids are in kids' church. We talked about sex and how sex was created by God. Sex is good. It's not something that the devil invented. Amen? He corrupted it, but sex is created by God. We talked about how marriage, when we dove into the, co- the issues of marriage, is that marriage works when we walk according to Ephesians 5, 100%. The husband submitted uh, in the sense that he surrenders he, his life to Christ and dies for the church uh, f- or, or is willing to give up his life for his bride as Christ died for the church. And the wife honoring her husband by submitting to him. And we talked about all that. I hope that you check that message out if you haven't heard it. It's on the web, therock-ag.com. Today, we continue the series by addressing the fundamental. Today, again, we're gonna, I want to address the fundamental lie that breaks all relationships. And I'm calling it the devastating exchange. The reason why I say fundamental lies because unfortunately... As a culture, again, when I say culture, I'm speaking about now America, our culture, here, our context. As a culture, we have accepted this lie to be foundational to the way that we view life and do life and treat each other. In other words, our culture has taken a lie and made it a truth claim 
that we are choosing to base our opinions and actions about life. In other words, our decisions about life and the afterlife are predicated upon this devastating life, lie. Right? Now, what is this lie? Okay. We're going to talk about this devastating exchange. And, and let me just explain again about truth claims. There are things that I can hold in my life as truth, but they're not truth. Right? I, can make, I can claim something to be true that, that's not true at all. You know what I mean? So I'm going to give you some examples of some truth claims that aren't truth at all, but we may hold on to them as truth claims. Number one, just some really uh, simple things. You ever heard the saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me? That, that, that may be a claim, but it's not, a tr- it's not truth. It's really a lie. We can hold on to that, but you and I know that it's not truth. There are certain words that were spoken over me. I prefer a beating. Beat me up. Right? It's easier to get over that than to get over the words, certain words that have been spoken over me. Amen? Praise God. There is healing and deliverance, and the power of God can set us free from certain words spoken in our lives. The power of God can set us free from all negative words spoken in our lives. Right? But let's not, let's not get this wrong. Stick and stones will break your bones, and words will do worse. Right? Here's another false claim, which... People hold on to as truth, as a truth claim in their life. Time heals all things. Time does not heal all things. If you've been to Israel, you realize the Palestinian-Israeli conflict and the thousands of years that that conflict exists and the egregious offenses that Israelis and Palestinians have committed against themselves. Time does not heal all things. Ignorance is bliss. Ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance is not bliss. You know, we may think, well, you know, if I don't know about it, I'm good to go. No. If you don't know about it, you're probably hurting yourself and hurting others, not being aware of how hurtful you are. Ignorance is not bliss. Here's a a claim out there. He or she who has the most toys wins. Well, that's a lie. We know that, don't we? Solomon had it all. The Bible says Solomon was so rich. He made silver seem common. Can you imagine that? Silver being common. Amen, brother. Yeah, silver, silver, silver as common. Can you imagine that? So much, they say that his proceeds a year, without counting what he already had, was somewhere between 50 to $70 billion. What is, what is that? The Queen of Sheba coming from Egypt to give you, you know, resources. People coming from all over the world just to give you resources. You don't need it. The man said, I gave myself to everything, and it's all meaningless. Right? What a terrible truth claim. And here's a devastating one. Your truth is your truth, and my truth is my truth. It's all good. What a lie from the pit. What happens with what you're... When your truth contradicts my truth, or when your truth begins to inflict pain or hurt on others, you know, at, at what point did this fall apart? So, there's a truth claim that we hold in our culture that is seldom spoken, but it's really the way that we do our lives. And this foundational lie has really permeated most of our culture today, and that is this, that humanity does not need God. You see, in our culture, we believe in the truth claim that we are not in need of God. 
I believe that we can uh, like Christianity and even be fond of Jesus. We can like Christianity and be fond of Jesus and be fond of his teachings and participate in church life. And yet at the same time, live in such a way that reflects no dependence on God at all. To many, God is not a need, a desperate need. God has become a pastime. It's something that I do that I enjoy doing on Sundays with my family. To many, God has become a last resort. I turn to God when I have no other, no other place to turn to. To many, God has become a social scapegoat. Right? When we don't know what to say, we'll say things like, well, I'll pray for you. Or when things go wrong, we'll say, well, where was God in the midst of that? To many, God has become an accessory. Well, why not Jesus? Jesus has so many benefits. Let me just add him to my tool belt, and I'll call on him when I need him. I was at a hospital when somebody was about to lose their lives, literally over some sinful behavior in their life. And as I was sitting in the hospital room, the people were really concerned about this individual. Thank God this individual made it. And God has actually done a miraculous work in their lives and spiritual lives as well. But someone there said, God is the great I am. You know what that means? God can be whatever you need him to want, whenever you need him to be, whenever you need him to want it to be. He can be whatever you want him to be, whenever you need him to be it. That's not God. It's not who God is. He's not a genie in a bottle. To many, God has become a business partner. You know, well, salvation makes sense. I'll receive that. Let's just make a deal. Right? To many, God has become a paramedic. Again, when things go bad and we're in a crisis, we just turn to God. To many, God has just become an entertainer. But who is God really? When we look at the Word, what does the Word of God say about who He is? God is creator of all things. He was there in the beginning and he will be there at the end. Not only was he there in the beginning and at the end, but he is the beginning and the end, for he is the Alpha and the Omega. He is infinite in his wisdom and truth in its purest form. He is Savior of all who trust in him and Lord over everything. He, he is love unrestrained and unhindered by impure passions, intricately involved in all things that are. He is omnipotent, all-powerful, omniscient, all-knowing, omnipresent, everywhere at the same time. He's undeniably a true living person with hopes, with expectations, and utterly sovereign. And by sovereign, I mean that he needs no one for anything at all. What he sets out to do, he accomplishes without help or need or failure ever for all eternity, past, present, and future. He is the only source of life for anything that lives or has known life. He gives life and he takes it away, only he does. He is the very breath that you and I are inhaling and exhaling right now. And that breath is a gift from God, a loan from God, the presence of God, and the evidence that he is who he says he is. He is so real that nothing exists without him, even what exists is in denial or in rebellion against him. He is so real that humanity runs into him when it tries to run away from him. 
His voice, His judgments, His mercy, His grace, His ways are higher than our ways, inexplicable, uncontainable, unfathomable, and He alone dwells in unapproachable light. Yet mysteriously and wondrously, He is tangible to both the saint and the sinner. One praises Him while the other retaliates against Him. Nonetheless, regardless of our actions, He remains victorious, undeniable, unexplainable, and immortal. He is the great I am, and all honor, and all glory, and all power belongs to him forever and ever. That's who he is. And God is nothing less than this. Yet because we culturally, uh, we culturally speaking are making less of him and striving hard to prove our lack of need for him, there are natural consequences that have taken place because we said we have made this devastating exchange. And the scripture that we're diving into today will not only reveal the consequences that have taken place because of this devastating exchange, this declaration that we have made that we not needed God, but because of that, it's taken away the sacredness of life and therefore has affected the way we do life and relationships. So we're going to dive into Romans chapter 1. I'm going to begin reading there. Verse 18, and it reads this way. So when I say desecrate, what does the word mean, desecrate? It means to treat a sacred, to treat a sacred or a holy thing with violent disrespect. And that's what I believe humanity is doing today with life. We are treating life which is sacred and holy with violent disrespect. Verse 18. For the, God, the wrath of God is revealed, past tense, happening, revealed, not something that's going to happen, not for the wrath of God will be revealed, no, the, God, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Okay. Let's just park there for a little bit. God's wrath is being revealed. Why? Because truth is being suppressed. Right? Truth that God has shown us. Truth that is clearly perceived. Because God has shown it to us, and it is seen through what? Through all of the things that God has made. Let's keep reading, and we'll dive into that later. For, for although they knew God, in other words, there was an awareness of God, there's a perception of God, an undeniable, an undeniable conviction that all things that are came from God. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. There's the exchange. Right? Verse 24. Therefore, God gave them up. Really important. Gave them up. Our word gave them up. It means God released them. And what did God release them to? Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts and impurity. In other words, God gave them up to their desires, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. 
For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women, it's changed natural relationships for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless act with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Father, your word is life and light. And Lord, as we uh, hear your word, we remember that you are the word of God. And Lord, I pray that not only you would give me the clarity to preach your word, but also your anointing. And not only to preach it, God, but to receive it. Let us receive your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. So what are the consequences of this devastating exchange? Where we've said, we fold on to the truth claim that says, you know, we don't need God. These are the consequences. Number one, God's wrath being revealed. I really don't believe that there are many true, true atheists. I'm actually convinced that there aren't true atheists. Which means that their hearts are completely convinced that there is no God. I'm not saying that there aren't people who don't believe in Jesus. I am saying that I, I find it, I am hard pressed to believe, even in the case of Dawkins, that they don't believe in transcendence, period. In the essence of a God, whether metaphysical God, whether a person God, or just the acceptance of intelligent design. I've not met a true atheist. I've met agnostic people. I've met people who question and struggle. But I've not met someone who truly has an atheistic conscience. God's wrath is being revealed not because people are consciously convinced that there is no God, but because truth is being suppressed. What is that truth? The truth that he is. Amen? God's wrath is being revealed, not will be revealed. It is happening right now. And do you see it today in our culture? Absolutely. Ignoring, and how is it being, what are the ways, how are the ways that we are According to the scripture that we just read, let's talk about this for a minute. What are the ways that we're suppressing the truth? Culturally speaking, again, I'm speaking about culture. What are the ways that we see our culture suppress the truth? According to the scripture that we just read and what we see, what are the ways that we're suppressing the truth? Let's look at those verses. Let's put those verses back on the, sc on the screen. 
verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible, in other words, that which cannot be seen, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. Do you see that? In other words, all of creation should scream out, there's a God. Jack? Instead of giving glory to God, the truth claimed that, hey, we're not going to look outside of here, outside of us, right? Then they're going to attribute it to randomness. The scripture goes on and says, instead of giving glory to the creator, they give glory to creation. They attribute it to Lucy. Do you believe in evolution? Right? They, attri they attribute it to the created things instead of the creator. Okay, so God's wrath is being revealed because we're ignoring what nature is screaming out. And God's wrath is being re revealed because we're denying to give God the glory that he is worthy of. Okay. Secondly, humanity has been given over to their desires. I think it's important to note here, it's a clear evidence that we have a choice to make. And God's grace resists evil. Ain't that good? God's grace resists the evil that even exists within our wicked hearts. Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can understand it? And God's grace kind of restrains sin, restrains that by what? By his convictions. Don't do that. Don't go there. It is God's grace that keeps us. Then here it's, it's laying out basically a picture of someone who says refuses to listen to the restraints of God. And therefore God says, okay. When God says, okay, and pulls back, then we have the consequences of our actions. The outcome of that release from God is the following. Worshiping of creation instead of the creator, evolution. And that in, isn't that interesting? You know that secular science has basically made a decision. And this is the point that secular science has made. They basically said, we're not going to look at anything outside of what we can see and what we can test. If we cannot see it, we're not going to allow it. There are certain scientists that even made a point, whatever you see, no matter what evidence you find, as long as it doesn't point to intelligent design, as long as it doesn't point to a transcendence, as long as it doesn't point to a God, we'll accept it. That is secular science. Secular science begin with the bias that there is no God. This is the truth. Secular science begins with that bias. Now, I love what Ken Ham says about this. I disagree with some of the things that Ken Ham has to say, but I do agree with this. The question that we have to ask ourselves, which bias is the best bias to be biased with? Because at the end of the day, when you look at the evidence that you see, you're going to have an a, a bias. We all do. Should we have the bias that there's an intelligent designer? Or should we have the bias that there is no designer at all, according to what we see? And what demands greater faith? I mean, just think about this reality. Doesn't it demand greater faith that all of a sudden after cosmic amount of years, some cosmic am amount of years, you know, all of a sudden something happened in the chemical atmosphere that created everything that we are? Does it take more faith to believe in that? It seems to me it sure does. I'm asking, what we need to ask ourselves is which bias is the best bias to be biased with?
because we all will have a bias. Humanity has been given over to our desires. The outcomes of that release from God is the following. Worshiping of creation instead of the creator. Corruption of sexuality. And what? And Okay, let me just go back to that. Why do I call evolution and the belief of that a worship of creation? I'll tell you why. Because when we look at creation for answers, we're not looking at God for answers. Therefore, we're not giving him the honor and the glory that he deserves. Okay. Second, corruption of sexuality. And this is all sexual deviance. It's all sexual deviance. Now here in this scripture, you notice that Paul says very clearly, men, it's changing natural relationships and full of passion for other men and women the same. Very clearly, make it a, ga- a case against homosexuality. Very clearly, make it a case that God's created our bodies a certain way intentionally. The God's created our gender a certain way intentionally. But this is not just, even though this address is so strongly, I think uh, the, the issue of homosexuality, don't miss that this is talking about the progression of sexual sin. It may not necessarily begin there. But when we keep walking away from God's conviction, it may end up there. And so I've discipled many uh, young men uh, who have come out of that, uh, certain young men who have come out of that lifestyle. The, the many will say, I've heard this testimony more than once, it didn't begin here, but I gave myself to this, and it, I kept driving into this, and I kept going into this to the point that I was desiring this. Others would say, I've suffered certain things. And those things led me, right? And so I like to make a point here that all sexuality that's not biblical is sin. Whether it's heterosexuality or homosexuality, sex outside of marriage is sin. Corruption of sexuality. Multiple, what else are outcomes or consequences? Multiple sexually transmitted diseases. Let's say something in the 70s, there there was syphilis and gonorrhea. Now you have HPV, syphilis, gonorrhea, and a multiplicity of different strands of those things and so many others, chlamydia, uh, uh, and, and so forth. Hatred for God. Isn't that incredible? How can you honestly say that you're consciously an atheist and have such deep hatred when the conversation of God comes up? You can't hate God someone so deeply that you don't believe it exists. Hatred for authority. Maliciousness. In other words, desiring evil on others. Making room for evil to prosper. Let me ask you something. Do you see that happening in our culture today? Making room for evil to prosper? And not only that, celebrating sin. Do you see a celebration of that which breaks the heart of God? That's exactly what's happening today. Let's read 2 Timothy chapter 3. It reads this way, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty for people who will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasures rather than lovers 
of God. It's not, it's not that a clear description of our culture today? Having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Let me just go back. But understand this, that in the last days there will come difficult times. People will be lovers of self. I'm going to give you something that I'm convinced of. This is an interpretation, and I want to say this. This is just an interpretation of the scripture. Not the only way believers and other commentaries have seen it. But in Revelations, when it talks about the mark of the beast, it says in the mark of the beast is 666, the number of man. Understand this. And I believe that the mark of the beast, part of it, speaks to this focus on man. This secular humanism that exists today. What is that secular humanism? This claim. The purpose of living is the happiness of man. I believe that is the Antichrist claim. We do not live for the happiness of man. We live for the glory of God. And our happiness is a byproduct of giving God the glory. But when we've made that exchange, that's an alteration of truth, which is Antichrist. Abraham Maslow introduced to us a pyramid of all of the needs of humanity, all of the basic needs. And at the top, what is that basic need? Self-fulfillment. Whoa, dangerous. All of psychology relies on this ridiculous triangle that is good but incomplete. Because at the top of the pyramid, it should be to give God the glory, which then informs everything else. I believe, strongly believe, that to live for the purpose of personal happiness is an antichrist claim. Purpose of life is to give glory to God. Anything outside of that is an alteration which deviates from his plan. Now as we move forward. Having a form of godliness and denying its power. Look, I don't know if you've noticed, but America's morality has taken a decline. Right? It's taken a decline. What they're allowing on TV is declining. What they're allowing in our classrooms is declining. What Target is allowing is declining. I'm so glad Target's had a wake-up call, and they said, hey, <laughs> we made a mistake. And how do they know they made a mistake? They lost revenue. Because what does the Bible say? Your heart will be where your treasure is. All of a sudden, it's like, oh, gee, <laughs> we've lost millions of dollars. I think we made a mistake here. Right? And so uh, morality is declining for this, in America for this reason. Because of this great exchange that we're talking about. Psalm 11 says this, If the foundation is broken, what will the righteous do? In other words, if the foundation is destroyed, what, is, what can we do? We can do nothing. We have taken away the foundation of America. And because there's no foundation, there really is no morality. There's only the residue of a morality that was founded before, which is now dissipating. Why? Because there's no foundation. If there's no belief in transcendence, there's no belief in God. If we walk away from that, which we are, uh, uh, if we walk away from our Constitution, and the very, the very deal that instructed 
uh, who we are as a nation. We're just not going to be who we are. We're just not going to be who we are. Though that morality, do not expect that morality to, to, to increase. Unless there's a, a revival or something radical happens in our nation, we're only going to see this morality fall apart more and more. Uh, without God, there is no moral right or wrong. Without God, there is no sacredness of life. And, and now let me bring it back to this relational aspect and why I believe I should have probably spoke on this first. Do you see how evolution takes away your sacredness? If you just are an evolved being without purpose, just as, as just a random act, there's nothing sacred about you. You're just so, something that's dying away. But if you're made in the image of God, but if you're made in the image of God, there's something about you worth having reverence for. If we're made in the image of God, I have to address you differently. Because all of a sudden, I'm not just speaking to someone I disagree with, I'm speaking to someone who reflects the God I'm living to give him the, the glory. It's just a totally different way to view life. But if I'm not made in his image, if I'm not made in his image, then I'm just a random act, then I'm just as valuable as anything else that we see. Whether matter, whether capable of reasoning, whether other kind of life form, I just have absolutely no worth. So this is change. Where we said we don't need God. And this incredible wrestling that has happened throughout the years to kind of eradicate God from our, from our life and our culture has led us to this place where we not only not value life, we don't know the worth of life, and we don't really have a morality, right? Where our compass, our spiritual compass is broken. So this is why, as I close, this is why I'm so excited I'm a part of the church. Because if the world... If the, I believe, let me, let me go back. I believe that as a church, as we walk in reverence with one another, realize the value that we have as being made in the image of God, I believe what Jesus said. The world will know that you belong to me by the love you have for one another. And I believe that as we walk this out with reverence, as we reverence each other and treat each other with respect, that it will be just completely irresistible to people who feel random, people who feel hopeless, people who have no peace, and people who have been abused, people who have been broken by their own choices and the choices of others, I think that they see the kingdom of God loving each other and having reverence for each other, and they'll say, how do I become a part of that? I, I really do strongly believe it. So, we need to be aware of this truth. I, I, I want a life with healthy relationships, and I want to have reverence and honor for others, and I don't want the wrath of God in my life. Well, this is what we need to do. Number one, we have, to, we have to come to grips with this reality. We need him. And as Christians, we gotta ask ourselves this question. Are we living lives like we need him? Or do we just have a form of godliness but no power, right? Are we just doing church as if it were our favorite pastime? Or is Jesus really Lord of everything? 
Is he a part of our life? Is he a person that we're actually in communion with? Or is he just a political association? Know that you need him. Verse 17, of, I believe it, uh, in Mark 2, Jesus said, those who, are, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, I came to call sinners. Those who have a part in Jesus are those who recognize, Lord, I am in desperate need for you. I am in agony for your presence. Now recognize that all that I have is yours. Number one, if we want to live lives are full of God's favor, we've got to recognize, we got to recognize our need for him. Secondly, we have to make it our business to know God. We have to make it our life's endeavor to know him, not know about him. I've been convicted about that. I don't want to know about him. I want to know him. I want to know him. J.I. Packer says this, It has been said by someone that the proper study of mankind is man. I will not oppose the idea, but I believe it is equally true that the proper study of God's elect is God, of God's people is God. The proper study of a Christian is the Godhead. The highest science, the loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy which can ever engage the attention of a child of God is the name, the nature, the person, the work, the doings, and the existence of the great God whom we call Father. Disregard the study of God, and you sentence yourself to stumble and blunder through life blindfolded, as it were, with no sense of direction and no understanding of what surrounds you, and this way we can waste our life and lose our souls. You want to you do life right? Make it your life to know him. Make it your life to dive, dive deep into knowing him. And then third, make it your business to glorify him. Make it your business to glorify him. Sacredness is returned to humanity when we live for the glory of God. Relationships are restored to God's intentions when we acknowledge him. And I know something to be true. As sure as God's wrath is poured out on those who suppress his truth, God's favor is displayed much more so on those who turn to him for salvation. Would you stand with me today? Somebody, I was in conversation with someone, and they were based in, in counseling. Why do I feel like the devil's always attacking me? Why doesn't he just leave me alone? Uh, why do I have to keep going through these things? And I says, let's pull back for a minute. Let's pull that back for a minute. If the ushers can help me with this, with this pulpit. Nick, would you move this back here? Um, I said, let's pull that back for a minute. And I said, it's not about you, brother. It's about God. The reason why the enemy relentlessly attacks us is because we're made in the image of God. And the devil hates God. Because we're made in his image. 
He is constantly attacking us because we look like him and we remind the devil of his judgment, right? We are made in the image of God. And the enemy has launched, launched on an attack on who he is and all that he is. And everything that's supposed to reflect his glory, the enemy is going to try to pervert, right? Because misery loves company. Does that make sense? Uh, even look at the rainbow. The rainbow of God's promise that he will no longer destroy the world in the way that he did throughout the flood. What does the enemy do? Make it the symbol of the GLBT community. The very, I, I mean, I, j I just think what an audacious, what an audacious uh, reality that we've accepted this. And again, when you look at the reality of God and us, made in the image of God, God made us so that we can reflect him. And if we're going to have healthy relationships, I guess all this talk is about this. I know I've been all over the place. All this talk is about this reality. You're sacred. You're holy. You're precious. The enemy's going to try to destroy that. Because if he takes away your worth, if you let him take away your worth, if you let him lie to you about where you came from, ultimately, you're not going to value yourself and love yourself the way that you ought to according to Scripture, which in turn means you won't love others like God calls us to love each other. This is a root issue that we need to address and come before God with. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word. We are sacred. We are righteous. We are holy through your son, Jesus Christ. But all life is sacred. All life reflects you, even those that we disagree with, even those who are denying you and who are suppressing the, tr the truth. Even they are made in the image of God. We all are. Lord, our culture has lost the wonder of life. But we have not. We know that we come from you. And we know that if we're made in your image, then that means that we are the crown of your creation. We know it today. We know it today. Hallelujah. Maybe you're here today, and as we're praying right now, as we're turning towards God, you're saying, you know what? I've made God less than who he is. And as you were going through this message, I, I realized that um, I'm making God less than who he is. And, in my, and today I want to just declare that I surrender to all that you are, God. I surrender to you, and I repent of making you less than who you are. That's you right where you're at. Would you raise your hand with me? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Fathers, we raise our hands before you. We pray again, God, reveal the truth of who you are to us. Reveal your presence. Reveal your power. Through your word, in conversations, in life, reveal who you are. We say yes to all of you.
Oh God, we thank you for your grace that today you call us to attention. God, we want to live our lives to give you the honor and the glory that you deserve. In Jesus' name. Maybe you're here today and you have to make a shift in your walk, the shift that I had to make. I remember I was driving to a church and my father-in-law gave me a message that I needed to hear. And in that message, the preacher uh, was complaining about how God sent them into a mission field to, to preach the good news. And he thought that he was going to bring many, many people to salvation, right, that needed to hear the gospel. And he found out when he went to preach that nobody wanted to hear the gospel message and they knew about Jesus and they didn't care. And so he went into his hut and he began to pray and say, God, you lied to me. I came to this country to bring many sinners to you. They don't want anything to do with you. I didn't sign up for this. I want out of this. They said, God clearly spoke to him and said, what is it to you? What if I called you to preach and no one responds to the message? Am I not worthy of you preaching still? Am I not worthy of the glory, even if no one responds? What do you live for? The happiness of men or for my glory? What is it to you? I remember sitting in that parking lot with my hand on that wheel, tears in my eyes, saying, God, what have I preached for? The happiness of men and for your glory. Why have I responded to the call of God? For the happiness of men and for the glory of God. And after four years of university education, a Christian school, I came, I came to Jesus in a real way that day in that parking lot. I said, today, I want to live not only, I, I want to live not for the happiness of men, but for the glory of God, which in turn produces the true joy and happiness of men. That's you today. You're saying, I want that shift to happen in my life right now. I want to live for the glory of God. Because I believe that he has good intentions for me and that I can trust him. I want to live for the glory of God. If that's you today, would you raise your hand right where you're at? Yes, good. We say yes. We say yes. We want to live for the glory of God. God, I remember that youth camp. I was there and you, the scriptures opened up there where you said to Peter, when you were young, you dressed yourself and you went wherever you wanted to go. But when you're old, others will take you by the hand and lead you where you don't want to go. And Peter said, why me? Why not John? <laughs> he said, what is it to you, Peter? is it to you? Lord, today we say we want to live for your glory and for your honor. And we say may our lives be jars of clay filled with the excellency of your power. We want to say yes to live for your glory, to live, God, to honor you. Because we know, God, that as we do that, God, we will keep our face fixed on you, God. And then we will, Father God, in turn value ourselves the way that you value us and value each other, God, the way that you intend us to value each other. But it begins there. It begins at the place where we say we will not live for self. We live to give God the glory. Lord God, we don't want to suppress the truth by having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. We want to live for your glory. 
So we raise our hands before you, O oh God. May that shift occur in every way, in our marriage, in our relationships, the things that we listen, the things that we watch. May all that we do give you the glory and the honor. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Now, can I bless you? Would you, if you feel the freedom to do so, just raise your hands. You are sacred. God values you. May the love of God fill you, that you may walk in his love and receive it for yourself. And may that love permeate outside of you, that the world would see that you belong to him. And may, may the church be edified by the love that you walk in and the world be drawn to Jesus through you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you today.